0: So glad to welcome you to the Clark Howard show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you can take control of your wallet and your future. I hope you gain ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main web address. Clarkdeals.com is where you go to save money. We do what I feel is a great job our deal diggers finding the best deals in the market so that you spend your money wisely every time you think you're buying a bargain. I want you to know when you see one on Clark deals, you are buying a bargain. When you listen to me, I want you to feel comfortable that the guidance, the advice I'm giving is right, that you can trust it. And there are times that you'll be listening and you'll feel like, I don't like the way Clark just answered that. I don't like the way... That I talked about something. And so I want you to have an opportunity to give me that feedback. That's why we offer Clark Stinks. So, forum at Clark.com, where you go and post where your unhappiness is with me. And then others can see, they can add to it, they can comment on it. And weekly, our producer Krista goes through the posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You
1: should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: Maybe you're right, pal. Okay,
1: I'm going to start with you were definitely wrong. This is a correction we received. Okay. A uh, rewards member of the Intercontinental Hotels Group emailed them the company to say that you had incorrectly uh, talked about their company's name. Clark starts listing three big hotel chains with the largest loyalty programs and mentions Marriott slash Starwood, then Hilton, then says he can't recall the third. (laughs) IHC. We appreciate Clark mentioning our company among the list, but the correct name is actually IHG, which stands for Intercontinental Hotels Group. The listener asked us if Clark would be willing to correct the error on the air.
0: Perfect. So we've done so.
1: Okay. Uh, Jeff wrote in to say, "Wake up and smell the coffee, Clark. Your love of credit unions is misplaced, as the poor lady with the coins and baby illustrated the other day. Credit unions are transforming into the mega banks you rail against so frequently. Take a look; they have implemented the same fees and penalties, maybe not the same ex- to the same extent as the mega banks, but they are definitely going in that direction. Your representation that they can do no wrong and the banks no right is misleading to your listeners. And that was Jeff in California."
0: Jeff, I am guilty as charged. I tend to paint with a broad brush. And most credit unions are small, community-based credit unions. There are now some credit unions that are very, very large. There are some credit unions that have been infiltrated by banksters who used to work for banks, refugees from banks. And they lose sight of the fact that a credit union is a co-op that they're there to serve their members that own the place and that they work for. So it is true, not all credit unions are perfect. Some are far from it.
1: Mary says, Clark did a story on TV about healthcare care costs and he referred to nurse in a box. Tell Clark he gets his facts to get his facts correct. These retail clinics utilize nurse practitioners, not nurses. A nurse practitioner has a graduate degree that authorizes diagnosis, treatment and prescription of medications, including narcotics. In simplistic hospital terms, a nurse, nurse practitioner orders medicines and the nurse hands the medication to the patient. Huge difference. Make sure you know the difference. Uh, I appreciate that. I am a big fan of NPs,
0: and I believe that NPs and PAs, physician's assistants, are the key two components of the solution we need to the shortage of primary care physicians in the United States. And we are not going to solve the shortage of primary care doctors any other way than with nurse practitioners and PAs.
1: Michael in Ohio wrote in and said, Clark, the other day, you said Bitcoin was for money laundering and illegal activities. While I'm not an owner of Bitcoin because of security reasons, I realize people are flocking to it because of the lack of faith in in fiat currency. Then you said it wasn't valid like our government's currency. We don't have a government currency. A private central bank known as the Federal Reserve prints fiat Federal Reserve notes. They're both fake. Why are so many countries stockpiling gold, dollar collapse?
0: So I am not somebody who believes that the U.S. dollar is going to collapse, that any first world currency is going to collapse. And if there was ever a time that, that the currencies of developed countries were going to collapse, it was last decade during the banking scandals and the ensuing financial crisis caused by the the dirty dealings of the banks. The U.S. dollar, Japanese yen, Swiss franc, the euro, the pound, they are all solid currencies, and there's no reason to believe that something invented by some computer programmer like Bitcoin is going to be more secure. Bitcoin has been through a lot of tumult, and... I never wish to characterize Bitcoin as being only for nefarious activities. There are people who buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies believing they are an investment or a speculative thing or an alternative to real money. And if somebody wants to do that stuff, fine, but know that as an investment, any cryptocurrency is highly risky, Clark, this is something we're just going to have to disagree on.
1: Clark, your comments on nuclear power are a little extreme. You claim that nuclear power is failed technology. This is just wrong. The technology is not failed at all. It has been proven and continuously improved over the last 50 plus years in the U.S. New and existing nuclear power plants are struggling right now, mostly because of the extremely low natural gas prices, not because of failed technology. The technology works. It's just not the least expensive option right now.
0: I'm sorry if I mischaracterized my opinions about nuclear. Is I think I said in that I've always been a big fan of nuclear power. The, what I was referring to is that it's been a market failure. It's been a, in the two big uh, construction projects that have been going on in the United States, in South Carolina and Georgia, both have failed the ratepayers of both of those states leaving them on the hook for massive amounts of costs. And South Carolina has now abandoned its plants, and very likely Georgia will as well.
1: Clark, you don't stink, but there is one aspect of choosing cell phone plans that I have never heard addressed on your show. The issue is the advantage of having two entirely separate cell phone providers in the event of storm-related utility outages. In 2012, when Hurricane Sandy slammed into the Northeast, I lost my landline phone service that the cable company provided, and my next door neighbor lost their landline service phone company provided and their cell service. The one remaining phone service out of four was my cell service from a different provider than my neighbor's. Fortunately, I had two working cell phones from my cell phone provider and was able to lend one to my neighbor. The ability to communicate in a five-day-long situation when all utilities are out, including electricity, was extremely helpful. My wife and I now have three different cell phone providers, which increase our odds of surviving storm outages. This diversity is even more important to households without landlines. Thanks, Bill.
0: Bill, I'm really sorry you went through Superstorm Sandy. People are still trying to recover in a lot of the Northeast from Superstorm Sandy. And on the idea of having multiple providers for an emergency, that is very wise. Now, the suggestion we got most often after Superstorm Sandy was the value of shortwave radio and that that works in almost all circumstances as a standby backup that doesn't have an ongoing cost. On the thing you're talking about, about having a backup cell phone service, you can go to like Walmart and buy a cell phone for one of the major carriers other than who you're with and buy, let's say, a year of service at a very low cost and just have it sitting in a drawer in the event there is a natural disaster or other emergency.
1: Clark likes to promote his off-brand, cheap cell phone plans, but he never or rarely promotes to call to get discounts with your current provider. Example, I'm still on Verizon. Why? I have six phones, 22 gigs of shared, and pay only $131 a month with all fees. That's $22 a month each. I call monthly asking for customer retention, as they seem to be the only representatives that can give the deepest discounts. This goes for internet, satellite, and cable. Only those who call in get the discounts. Wish Clark would promote to have listeners call for the discounts prior to advising them to go to off brands. If everyone dumped Verizon, they would lower their prices, but those who would not will not leave. May not know a simple phone call can save them tons. And if the majority of them start doing this, that's what will have the same that will have the same effect as permanently lowering prices, Michael.
0: Michael, that is a great suggestion, not just for cell phone service, but also for pay TV, for internet connection, for any type of ongoing technology, negotiating and negotiating and negotiating, if you have the patience to do so, will save you a lot of money. I'm very impressed, though, that six people on your plan can get by with a total of 22 gigs. In my family, 22 gigs go in about 48 hours.
1: (laughs) Clark was railing about the fact that some whole life insurances end, in quotes, at age 100. And he went on to say then that the insurance companies keep your money. This is not my understanding of what happens. The policy at age 100 would pay out possibly to the insured, but nevertheless, the insurance company doesn't keep the money. There may be reasons to dislike whole life insurance, but don't falsely accuse the insurers of keeping money when that's not the case. While I'm an actuary, I'm not a life actuary, but I've had some exposure to the basics of how life insurance works. So
0: what happens, thank you, um, what happens is that the insurer pays the cash value at that time, which will usually be a great deal less than the actual face amount of the policy that would pay at time of death. Plus, it also triggers a tax event. Insurers have had a very easy way to fix this by uh, having the policies terminated at age 135. I don't know anybody who's living to 135, but insurers have been piggy on this and have failed their policyholders and cheated them.
1: Free cruise advice. Clark, how could you not know this? My husband and I have saved a lot of money by applying your advice. However, on an episode of Clark Stinks, a listener said, admitted a very valid complaint that you did not give a reason, reasonable advice on how to get discounts on cruises. Clark, I believe I am a cheaper cheapskate than you. My husband and I have gotten three free cruises and it has nothing to do with getting stocks in the cruise company. All you have to do is get a rewards card for the cruise line. My mother-in-law has a Royal Caribbean card and we have Carnival Rewards and put all of our expenses each month on it. Each normal purchase is one point per dollar and each purchase through the credit card online website can be up to eight or more points per dollar. We we only put our basic expenses on and stick to our budget so we have no running balance. We pay off the balance at the end of each month. There is no annual fee. We get a free cruise every two or three years. Please tell your listeners about the, this provision because you don't have to buy overpriced stocks to get a minuscule discount. As long as you spend responsibly, you can get free vacations with rewards credit cards.
0: Thank you. And I didn't know my son was now posting the Clark sticks. <laughs> Because he's been all over me trying to get me to get the cruise line credit card for he wants Royal Caribbean. And I am so glad that you've been able to turn that into free cruises every other year.
1: And also there have been a lot of questions, not stinks, about airline rewards cards. What do you think about that if you fly a particular airline and you get offered all those extra miles? Are they worth it? If you fly a particular airline a lot,
0: there's a real benefit to you getting that airline reward card if you, in addition, have a significant charge volume per month, somewhere in the range of five thousand or so dollars a month, to make the huge annual fee on an airline card work for you. There is a exception that though, if you like to check bags with the full fare airlines, you often get a free check bag by having their card, and that will obviously negate that huge annual fee on the airline card i want to hear from you please go to clark.com and go to our clark stinks board and let me know where i've come up short for you keith is with us on the clark howard show and keith you're moving
3: well we're planning a move in the next uh, 18 months to two years clark uh, it's so great to talk with you
0: well great to have you here how can I be of help with this upcoming move? And you are an advanced planner that you're thinking all this through.
3: Absolutely. Well, we own our home outright, and uh, my wife and I have discussed the possibility of uh, renting it versus selling it uh, to get the revenue to uh, offset the revenue we're going to be spending in the new town we're going to be living in. She thinks we should sell it. I want to rent it to uh, that's because I, I, I know the rental business in this town, so I've been very successful at it, and I really feel that if we rent it, the value of the home will go up, as well as the, um, um, you know, just offsetting the, the different costs.
0: Well, I love new- rental properties, but there are several reasons that probably makes your wife right in this case. Sorry. how far away are you moving
3: uh we're going to be moving about seven hours away by car
0: yeah that would strongly lend itself to you selling the property just because it's so hard to manage a rental property from any great distance away you start looking more than two hours away and it just gets to be more of a hassle For you, unless you have a reason that you would routinely and regularly be going back to where you live now once you move, I I would say that just for simplicity's sake, and this has nothing to do with maybe you becoming a landlord in the town you're moving to. Right. But there's another factor. How much gain has there been from what you paid for it versus what it's worth today? Quite a bit of gain. Oh, then sell it. Okay. Because the gain is tax-free, up to half a million dollars in gain, if you sell it now. If you let it reclassify over time as a rental property, all that embedded gain becomes taxable to you.
3: Oh, okay.
0: So it really makes sense to follow your wife's lead and just always remember your wife's always right. (laughs) Things go so much better in life when you remember that. And you sell this property, you can then pay cash for the next one. I mean, there's no virtue in you taking out a loan. And then ultimately, once you get settled in your new community, if you end up staying there and you learn that town, you like, obviously, you like being a landlord, you have that mentality like I do, then there at some point, when you've identified a good purchase for a rental property, you buy one there. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you stretching every last dollar so you can save more and spend less and don't let anybody ever rip you off. So we got to talk here. There are an unknown, I don't know, there's so many different figures on how many people in America are in some form of adjustable rate mortgage. The most common number I've seen is somewhere around one in five, one in six people are today in an adjustable rate mortgage instead of a fixed rate. And this is a dicey time for you to be in an adjustable rate mortgage. The reason is is that the adjustable rate loans carry obviously a floating rate that depending on the loan you have resets every so often could be um, after a five-year period it adjusts every year after that could be seven year could be three years fixed then floats every year after that but the trends are not your friend right now on an adjustable rate mortgage because the federal reserve feels confident with the new Employment figures, the official unemployment rate in the United States is 4.3. The one I like, which is U6, which I think gives a better reading, is about double that. But it's still a massive improvement from where unemployment has been in the United States. And there were extreme measures the Federal Reserve did to keep the world financial system from melting down last decade that they're just now starting to wind down and that gradually will lead to higher mortgage rates. So being in a floating rate is way too risky. In addition to that, fixed rate loans are a real deal. 15-year loans for people with good credit scores are back in the twos. 30-year loans are in the threes, upper threes, like Somewhere around three and three quarter percent, 3.875 percent for people with good credit scores. And so, and by the way, the spread has stayed unusually large between 15 year loans and 30 year loans. So, going into, if you can swing the payment, going into a 15 year fixed rate is doubly to your advantage right now because not only are you out of debt in half the time, but the interest rate you pay is substantially lower. So, it's a real benefit to doing that. So, The adjustable rate is really a dangerous game to be in, even if the initial rate is at or below the 15 or 30-year loan. Because even if people intend to stay in a home a set number of years, human nature being what it is, we underestimate how long we're going to stay in a home. So you might intend we're only going to be there uh, four and a half years, and then Nine years later, you're still in the house. So why tempt fate when fixed rates are so low? Then there's an additional complicating factor. If you have an adjustable rate, most adjustable rate loans are set based on something known as the London Interbank Offered Rate, known as LIBOR. And it's been a massive corruption scandal in banking that the big banks have been manipulating the LIBOR in order to be able to charge more on loans. So they've been making up the rate to rip you off. And so LIBOR, as a consequence, is no longer going to exist, which then leaves you at who knows what with how an adjustable rate loan will reset. So every factor out there is tending to support a move to a fixed rate, and that's where I think you should head on your mortgage. If you were in an adjustable rate, and now you're like what I talked about, well, we thought we were going to move, but now we're more likely to stay, take advantage of these low rates that exist today and get into one of these 15s, if you can't handle that, at least get into a 30-year fixed rate. Julie joins us on the Clark Howard show Hi Julie how you doing good thanks how are you Clark great thank you you want to talk about retirement funds
4: I do uh, my husband and I are in our 40s and we have um, a couple like 401 Ks that uh, from uh, different places that my husband's been employed uh, that are invested we do pretty much all target date uh, mutual funds and because of our age we've picked mainly the 2035 funds. And I was just checking in on them, and I was surprised to see that in one of them, uh, there was actually a 93% allocation for stocks. And I thought, well, that, that seems le- different than what I had thought. Like it was, I was used to that 100 minus your age would give you perhaps your percent that you should have in stock allocation. But then I did a little research, and I found a few articles. Where they said they might be moving that to maybe more of a 120 minus your age for figuring that out, and I was right, curious, that's become a okay common thing.
0: Do you know why they've gone? Some of the models have gone to 120. Is because people are living longer than the original assumptions were based. Okay. So that's why. But one of the ch- things affecting uh, target date funds right now is one of the pieces of what the target date funds tended to use would be a, a significant emphasis on bonds. Well, mm-hmm. there's a big belief that there's been all the buzz about or stocks overvalued or stocks in a bubble or whatever, but the smart money on Wall Street is much more worried about bonds being in a bubble, that they are frightfully overvalued. So where normally there might be in a target fund that's geared towards year 2035, there might be a significant percent that would be in bonds, maybe 30, 40% potentially, more like maybe 30. Right mm-hmm. now, there'd be a desire to lower that because of the risk that bonds will fall in value.
4: Okay, that makes sense. Okay, I was curious because it just, I thought, well, is that more risk than we should be taking for our age? <sighs>
0: So the, this whole thing about risk is so hard because, you know, a lot of people were overly invested in stocks back in 2007 and eight, mm-hmm. and ended up not being able to stomach the declines they were seeing and bailed um, right into the teeth of a huge decline in stock values and then missed the big run-up that's happened since early oh nine till today where values have basically quadrupled in a, in a blink. You know, in stock investing, mm-hmm. eight years is a blink. So yeah. it's hard. It's hard. So really it's more a question of how comfortable you and your husband are with risk, how well you think you could sleep at night if looking out a little more than 15 years from when you anticipate retiring, seeing the values drop. So if the two of you say we would freak out. You know what I would do? This is going to be weird. Okay. I would pretend that your retirement is in 2025 or 2030. Okay. And change the nature of what your portfolio looks like to a more conservative one.
4: Okay, that's something I had, was thinking about myself. So, okay, that sounds sounds like we might be in that, <laughs> that zone of that might relieve some worry for
0: us and i probably just upset people who do financial planning and allocation so much to no end but what really matters is you and your husband have to be comfortable and sleep well at night i agree <laughs> so that would be how i'd mitigate that
4: okay well thank you for your advice
0: sure and best to both of you the most important thing it sounds like you both of you were all in on and that is putting as much money as you can aside for retirement so that you can meet that goal of having a comfortable retirement in 2035. Elizabeth's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Elizabeth, and congratulations on being a freshly minted college graduate. What's your degree in?
4: Thank you. Construction Management and Accounting.
0: No way, no way
4: yes sir so
0: you have you have two majors or is you yes. a major and a minor
4: two ma- it's actually two majors and a minor so it's a management degree with a construction emphasis minor and an accounting degree
0: wow you just yeah. wanted to make sure that no matter what you were going to be highly sought after in the job market
4: <laughs> yes that's my plan
0: great well how can i be of help it sounds like you got it all together
4: Yes, I hope so. I so I'm graduating, and I, graduate well, graduates no student loans. My parents have saved for me from day one, basically, um, and they're gifting me my car, and then I won't really have any bills until my current contracts are up. My parents don't want to break any contracts until they end, um, so I kind of want to. I want to be able to pay for my children's college one day. I want to have a healthy retirement fund, and I want to be able to travel some. So I wanted some advice on going into the workforce what should i be looking for and what should i kind of do to put me on the path of what i how i want my financial life?
0: especially because your expenses are going to be so low from your first job forward yes if you're offered a 401k and they offer two flavors which most employers will offer both either a traditional 401k or a roth 401k Go mm-hmm. Roth 401k if that's available to you. Okay. And put in the maximum you are allowed to put in by that employer. Okay. That is the most important thing to do that right out of college and do that consistently. Your parents created an enormous buffet of options for you because they had been such diligent savers. Yes. And you have learned that and benefited from that from them. So now repeat that cycle and in your early 20s absolutely hands down the most important thing is to do the retirement plan at work and because your expenses are so very low also do a Roth IRA. Okay. And you do and if you don't have a 401k offered where you go to work at least do the full annual contribution you're allowed to a Roth IRA, which is $5,500 a year. Okay. And it, you, you start off young, saving all that money. It makes a big difference. Now, as far as vacations, I would love it if you take a certain percent of your pay and put it uh, where it's a split thing where a portion, maybe 5% of your check, whatever, goes into a vacation savings account at a credit okay. union every month.
4: Okay,
0: And they just call that a split deposit of a paycheck. And so you're automatically building up that savings into a vacation fund. And you have that money for you that you can pay cash for a vacation. And the more motivated you are to take vacations, the more of your pay you'll divert into that. And the more you'll save and the more trips you'll get to take. Great for you.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: Thank you for your uh, taking my
5: call. Certainly, um, I really appreciate your help. Um, I hope I get to know your show many years earlier. Um, the question I have is: um, right now, um, uh, my my financial service person, you know, l- review my my overall uh, situation, and they, he recognized that I'm missing a, a earthquake insurance. I'm I'm in a California a state, so he asked me to go to my agent and start looking into the, the quoting process. And during the meantime. I'm using your ref- website and look up you know, who is the best in, in insur- insurer versus the worst. And it happened that I, um, the agent that I go through um, used three different companies for my auto, my uh, home insurance, and my umbrella. Um, and, and
0: Wow, wait, 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 wait. Did uh, I hear this yeah. right? You were with yeah. not one company, not two companies, but your insurance is divided up among three different providers. That's correct. That's very unusual. Very unusual. Yeah. Let me tell you why that's so unusual. Many times insurers offer what are called tying deals, where if you bring more than one of your insurance products to them, you know, uh, two, three, whatever, how many different ones, as you bring more products, they give you a lower rate on each of those products to capture more of your business. So you're potentially missing discounts by having your insurance placed with three different firms.
5: Absolutely. That's what I thought too, and I and, I, and not only that, I as I reviewed the current insurance coverage I have, um, I found out some mis- coverage mistakes, meaning I'm getting something that is not needed. Oh. Like the umbrella insurance coverage versus the you know the deductible, they should be they should be in sync. But they are not. So I'm paying more than I needed. So that kind of situation starts to happen and I don't feel really good about this agent and how he set it up for me. So now that's where I come to you for help.
0: So you're you're a your free we- you're a free agent from this agent now. You want to go yeah. shop the market. Well you know exactly. if you've looked on my website, you know the first question I have for you is Did you serve or do you serve in the US military? Uh no, sir. So that would eliminate USAA. So I would like for you to at least get a quote from Amica Mutual, A M I C A Mutual. Who and, and, and go and ahead. That's
5: what exactly I did. Um, I, I because that's the first one in line that you know the one of the rated the highest one, and I go right to Amica. I go through you know an hour or so conversation with the agent. He gave me a quote, a, a quote across everything. Um. Majority of them are a little bit more expensive than my what I have. So I'm wondering and I understand there is a value having a good insurance company when I indeed they will help me out versus, you know, fight tooth to nail just to get my you know, whatever I deserve for the coverage. So so I'm wondering from your experience, you know, what kind of percentage? If it's it is 5% more? Yep, that that makes sense. Or, or if it's 10%, oh, that's a little bit too much.
0: I um, would even go, is it, is it? to be with one of the best insurers out there, I would even go okay. 25% above wow. what you're paying okay. right now. I think that okay. because you have insurance for when something goes wrong. And when exactly. something goes wrong, you want to be with an insurer that's actually going to be there for you. And so... Mm-hmm that's why as cheap as i am you'll hear me repeatedly say for insurance i'm willing to pay more if necessary to be with a good company now with amica the first year you pay extra to basically buy in to be an owner of it and then after that your premiums actually are lower and they give you back rebates each year so The first year is the roughest with them. Yeah. So how much more was Amica versus the three companies in total?
5: So the difference between the Amica and and what I'm having right now, the worst case scenario, is only 10% difference.
0: Oh, I would would pay that 10% without even thinking about it. I would switch to Amica and be really glad you did. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.